Welcome to episode 5 of the Midnight Ramadan Show. We are joined today by the Egyptian enforcer as he is known, Sam Morsi, captain of Wigan Athletic, a player who played at the 2018 World Cup, uh, played alongside Mo Salah and other amazing footballers. He's an amazing human being, really humble, really genuine. Stay tuned as we interview Sam Morsi. Sam, how are you doing? You okay? Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Where are you now at the moment? Are you near the club? Are you near Wigan? Or is that uh, you? Bolton, yeah. In Bolton. That's where I live with my family. Um, not far from the training ground. Nice location near Manchester as well. So we're happy. It's a good location for us. Nice. Is that far from where you live? Is it far from the training ground or the, the club itself? Nah, not far at all, to be fair. About 20 minutes away, so... Really good location, not much traffic to commute to, so really good. Nice. And just bear with me. I'm sorry. Uh, have you found it um, so far? You know, with uh, obviously with COVID nineteen, has training? Um, well, I've been here for about what two months now, over two months since we've been playing. Actually, uh, I was training really, really hard. Um, the end of the case of. You might not be playing for another week, so you have to slow the training down a little bit. So I did that, um, and then obviously Ramadan now fasting. Um, you know, you have to be, you have to be very calculated with your training because you have to do enough where you keep fitness, but you also don't want to do too much where you know the days are going to be difficult for you because it is long hours fasting in the UK. Um, so you have to be careful with that for sure. No, definitely. Um, and and what, what's, you know, whilst you've been um, during this pandemic, obviously it's, it's Ramadan as well. How, how's training been in itself? Like, how, how are you training? I do um, three times a week. I'll do a, uh, a FaceTime mobility session with a trainer. Um, really good bodywork session. And then alongside well, I'll do times a week or on the bike a few times a week as well um, stretching and mobility every day as well so just try and keep ticking over really the clubs give us a plan a guideline to stick to just to keep on top of the fitness levels um, we're due in to being back on the 16th from this month whether we will be or not I'm sure we'll find out more Sunday so you have to go back prepared really and um, with that it can definitely become tough when you're fasting so it's just about training at the right hours so you've, 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 you've been told that you've got to be back for the 16th of this month, is, is that what? Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of clubs around that day are going to be back. Um, some earlier, some maybe about now, but it's around that day. But obviously things can change, but that's the date they've gone for. Wow, and what it's, have you been given an indication of what it's going to be like when you're back? Are you, like, is the social distancing going to happen whilst you're training? Uh, have you been yeah. provided PPE and all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's... Um, We've heard the murmurs and four people allowed at one time and not allowed in the changing room together and not allowed to tackle and various different things, um, which the more I hear, the more I think it's going to be quite extraordinary to continue the season, if I'm honest. Wow. To, to follow the guidelines, yeah, yeah, just the more you hear. Um, 
but you, but you don't know, I guess we don't know. It's a little bit of the unknown, isn't it? But like the four people portraying a pitch and not tackling, and it's all a little bit, you know, it's impossible to prepare for a season. You you must make you kind of think like, um, you know, like you mentioned, four people on a training pitch, uh, no tackling, etc. Where does that um, football sharpness come into in this season if the season does restart? It's impossible. It's impossible to do so. I think that's the thing. I think that's why a lot of people are just saying, just sort of cancel it to where it's either null and void, which obviously nobody wants, or it's basically per points per game. So wherever you are now, for the rest of the game, you average per points per game, and, and that way you are where you are, which sort of makes sense, if you like, because we've played over 75% of the season. But it's going to be tough regardless, whatever they do. Um, I think League 2 and League 1, from what I'm hearing, it's going to be very, very difficult to continue just for the finances as well, even going to games, you only allowed so many people on the coach to games and various things like that. And I think as well, in a time like this as well, to be to be having key workers at our games mm. instead of where they need to be, you know, it doesn't really sit right with me. And I've heard interviews with people as well where I agree with it. It's, it's a little bit, you know, like how would you feel, you know, you've got ambulances, para- paramedics, etc. at, at your game. Um, stewards, you know, everyone in security at our games when there's this going on in the world. So it's it's quite difficult at the moment to see it finishing. Yeah, I was thinking like, it might sound silly, but normally there's loads of things that happen on a match day that you take for granted now. Um, like, for example, ball boys even. What, what happens when there's an empty stadium, ball's kicked out, Rosie, who goes yeah. and gets that ball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and then the testing as well. Testing has to be for those guys, for security, for camera people, for the nurses, you know, for everyone. So it's just really strange. Now, obviously, everyone is, is well, naturally, you'd expect everyone, and they are, the media are putting a lot of emphasis on the Premier League, Premier League, Premier League, and everyone's talking about the Premier League. There is been stuff around um, EFL, Championship, League One, League Two, etc. Um, I want to ask you a question. Um, you're obviously playing for Wigan, captaining Wigan. First of all, that's incredible in itself. Um, and a lot of managers that, um, you know, the, the speak in the media, they say the championship is far more difficult than the, the Premier Premier League. Would you agree with that? And what, what's your view on it? Um, I, I think for me, I'd have to play in the Premier League to compare. Okay. Um, but speaking with sort of teammates who have played in the Premier League, I guess it's probably in terms of physicality, it's probably more demanding. I think in the Premiership, it's a lot more tactical and it's slower up until the final third. Where then it's just boom, 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 yeah. you know, where the pace really at a frightening pace. Um, so I think many people have, have described it sort of, you know, you could be playing against a top team, you know, you could be thinking, we're doing okay here, but in a matter of minutes, you're 2 0 down, you know, game done, without sort of feeling that hustle and bustle and that pressure because the top team just have so much quality. It's like Liverpool, for example, um, I try and watch all their games and you know, you see how sometimes you're making me smile, man. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, carry on. (laughs) Sometimes they're not at the best, but then the front three just just need one chance and you know the score. So it's it's that quality, I think. I think the premiership is just just such amount of quality. But then on the other hand, you look at a team like Sheffield United, for example. Last season have done amazing, amazing. And all their best players have been their guys from the championship, their guys from League One. So it shows with the right environment it can happen. But it is definitely a physically demanding league. 
I think that's down to Chris Wilder as well. Like obviously he's he's brought them up from the championship and he's done an amazing job. And if it wasn't yeah. I don't know, we don't know what's gonna happen with the Premier League, but if it does continue, then he's gotta be up there for like manager of the year and stuff of what he's done at Sheffield United. Yeah, definitely. Coronavirus, everyone's talking about it. We're all locked up at home. I mean, this is one of the reasons why we kind of come up with this idea of uh, trying to engage with the uh, young adults in inner city Birmingham, etc. What's the been key challenges for you um, for, with coronavirus? Not just professionally from a footballing perspective, but just yeah. generally as a as a human being. Mm. I think it's just in certain ways you feel because our generation and we're very privileged to to be living in this country, you know, as opposed to living in a third world. You just spoke of um, the brother in Uganda as well. Tough conditions. So first and foremost, we're very lucky to have the upbringing we do have. Um, but to a certain degree, it's sort of like your freedom's been taken away from you a little bit, hasn't it? Yeah, so you'd yeah. have your schedule, you'd have your plan, you'd have your life, all of us do different things, but then all of a sudden, it's now a case of right, you've got to stay in your house, you know, you can't sort of meet friends, you can't do training, you can't whatever. So, from a personal view, things have slowed down, and I think for my daughter as well, um. My missus and daughter usually, you know, they'd go out every day and they'd go to the classes and go whatever. So I feel sad for her more than anything because it's like she's only two and a half, but she's had her own little world yeah. sort of taken apart. She's asking about classes and when she's going to see her grandparents and things like this. Um, but I, I guess the challenging thing is, you know, is the you have sort of the same thing every day, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Thing every day. So what we've done in my house is try and just have a little bit of a plan not so it's too rigid but just so we can sort of have that element of, of fun the element of a little bit of learning and try and enjoy the days as well because if you don't have a plan then the days can seem very very long but it's a, it's a challenging experience for all of us to be honest because like i said it's you know it's that lockdown isn't it it's, it's away from loved ones it's away from friends it's away from doing things you love to do or enjoy to do and especially people suffering from mental mental health problems um things they would do their sort of escapism from the real world or whatever don't have it anymore so now they're locked inside an environment every day which might not be conducive to them as well so it's it's definitely tough and i, I definitely feel for people out there as well it's, i mean like, like you just mentioned there's, there's obviously naturally don't have the figures in front of me there's there's also going to be a an increase of domestic violence yeah. there's going to be an increase of uh, young adults uh, not being able to access, uh, access things that they would normally access and now confined to a space at home which could be small could be big we don't know but yeah. that could have, obviously like you said mentioned uh, it could affect their mental health and that kind of leads me on to the question um i want to ask next in regards to this show in itself um, so I don't know how much you are aware for the last three, four years, we've been running a, a program called the Midnight Ramadan League. So it was kind of targeting inner city young people to participate in physical activity from 12 till 2 a.m. after they've prayed, um, after they've eaten. Uh, yeah. There's that gap where some could go and work out in the gym and those who don't want to go gym or want to substitute from gym could participate in, in physical activity. And we used to run it successfully for the last few years to 250 young people used to come through so we come up with this idea as an alternative obviously how important do you think it is um, to kind of move with the times and become uh, you know look at innovative ways of working with young adults or, or people in general that you'd normally work with 
think is massive and um you know it, it's an amazing thing what you're doing because you know we are at the point now and where we're at and especially in areas like birmingham obviously i was brought up in wolverhampton the midlands things like this where your your focus and your energy is going to go into something that's inevitable so by keeping it positive by keeping sort of after iftar you know um playing football and, and things like this it's absolutely massive not just the football aspect but the social aspect yeah the being a part of something the team the enjoyment because like i said the the youth of today and you see it all the time in birmingham and wolverhampton it's it's getting worse and worse you know the crime rate so it's massive where the young people can get involved in something positive it's absolutely massive i'm, I'm really glad you said that because um even before this we we've spoken and obviously we, we we have mutual friends and and they've always said about you know the, how you are towards um youth work etc and we'll go on to that a little bit later on but what i wanted to kind of ask you was how important is it that there's accessible role models to to young people um i mean well, i guess what i'm trying to say is there's loads of people there's loads of role models that young people have and i'm sure you would have role models as well yeah. but how accessible are these role models because someone uh, like yourself and other professional athletes can change someone's mindset or understanding uh, and support them in ways that you'd never imagine so how important is it to have role models do you think and have these football players accessible to them i think it's a big thing because your role models will guide and shape you as well um like growing up as well in wolverhampton um you know at an age sort of 12 13 started hanging around with the wrong sort of people and, and you quickly find your your role models will have you sort of acting in a certain way and behaving in a different way and whatever and, and luckily enough for me then I've, all, I've always had my dad who's been a really positive role model and um you know he's done a lot of good things in his life and he's always sort of held himself to a high standard worked very hard so that's always been ingrained in me as well and there's um there's a gym in wolverhampton called uh firewalker I don't know if you've heard of it one one of the old owners there, Joby Clayton, um, amazing guy, amazing role model. And from a young age as well, I started chaining at that gym as well when he was a massive role model, um, helped people keep them off the streets, um, teach them new disciplines, etc. And, and that's massive as well. And some of the things he taught me sort of professionally as well, when I was 13, 14, 15, they, they still resonate with me today. They still hold with me today, over 10 years later. Um, so your role models are going to be absolutely huge um, I remember a time as well in football when I wasn't really taking football that serious in my younger days or in my younger um, professional days um, you know my dad and my mom. you know my mom's a great role model as well my parents always sort of kept me grounded and just kept me doing what I needed to do really so I, I didn't go off track because it was definitely a possibility of me doing so but the role models are going to be huge because like I say they are going to influence you massively who your role models are what you think of them because the more you aspire to be like somebody the more you'll start to act like them the more you start to see what they're doing the more you start to copy them imitate them that's just normal you know and at a young age we're all quite impressionable um, even as we get older we can all be impressionable at times so it's very important that the younger generation see the role models see how they live and and hopefully you try and look up to them and it doesn't necessarily, I think in football, for me, um, what I always wanted to be as a football player, it was more on a personal level to work hard, to try and 
do well, to try and give excellence in whatever I do. And I think everyone has the opportunity, whether in sport or whatever job they do, it could be any job in the world, but you can all, you can always choose your application towards it. No, I was just going to ask you that question next as well. Like, And you've kind of pretty much answered it in the sense of, I was going to say you're, you're someone that you could genuinely take as, I'm not quoting Drake, but started from the bottom and now now where you are, as in you're playing for Wigan and, and other stuff we'll come on to in a second. And you mentioned some of the challenges. Who were your uh, role models within football, so to speak? Obviously, you mentioned your mum and dad. And, and sometimes a lot of young people are, are distant from their parents as well. So who, was, who are you looking up to as a professional footballer uh, growing up? Um, growing up, it was, it was always sort of Roy Keane. Zidane, Javi Hernandez, all great players. I think I think Keane, like his tenacity and his leadership to sort of drag drag himself through. And then as I got older, um, you know, I loved the Spanish players, Javi and Iesta, because of it, it, it's weird actually, because it's all amazing players, but it's the personal qualities which really are dear to me. Like Javi and Iniesta, you never seen of them in the paper for anything, did you? You know, model professionals calm relaxed you know amazing guys um and then one person as well who obviously played with Mohamed Salah um he's obviously a similar age to me I met him a few years ago and just the way he conducts himself you know incredible human being um another player as well Ahmed Fatih he was in Sheffield United about 15 years ago maybe for a season captain very righteous man you know amazing man um, and it's these people you meet who, you know, you get that feeling of, wow, you know, these guys, they're living their lives right. And it's quite inspirational as well. And something definitely I inspired to be like. You Like you just mentioned, and having spoken to you over the last week and a half, two weeks, um, you seem really grounded and, and humble, which is honestly, and I keep saying this, and I might sound like a broken record, but every player, I mean, I've, I, I, thankfully, like, you know, previously, I've come across players and I've spoken to players the majority are, are really humble and grounded. Um, where does that kind of where does that come from? That passion, that, that groundedness, that humbleness. I, I I just think you know the majority of the players they have they have different journeys, but they have sort of similar journeys as well. Where you start off young, have ups and downs in their careers, but they have to just keep working hard and and you sort of get to you get to where you get to if you're lucky enough to have a career in a game, then you've been truly blessed. But I just think it has. You know, I think maybe the media portray football in a different light, but I think the majority of footballers, first and foremost, you know, they're people. You know, that's the most important thing. The football is just a bonus. And I think where footballers struggle when they retire with depression and various things is they never sort of figure out who they are. So they're only this football player. So when they can't play anymore, the identity's gone. You know, who, who are you? Uh, what do you value? What do you represent? Because you're no longer this football player. So I think that's very important as well. And I think a lot of Muslim players who I've met as well all have that sort of grounding because football's not the, the number one, you know, in many, in many respects. Playing football, a blessed, but if football finished tomorrow, you know, they'd be okay. As opposed to if players are saying, no, football, that's it. If I retire tomorrow, you know, I'm finished and whatever, that's when sort of addictions rise and, and everything as well. So, yeah, majority of, well, well, so majority, all of the Muslim players I've met with the pleasure of meeting, all just very grounded, you know, see for what it is. And I, I think that's massive in your career and when you retire as well. 
for those of us that don't know, what support is there? Because like, you, you've touched on a really, really important point there that I wasn't going to really ask you about, but you, I think it's so important. Um, what support is there for like professional football players around mental health, like players that are coming to the end of the career? And I forget the end, even at the beginning of how yeah. they're going to shape their career, what's next? Is there support for, for professional players? Because the reason I asked that, sorry, is because, yeah, Quan, you, you answer that first and then I'll, I'll tell you. There's, um, there's a PFA and yeah. they have their helplines. Um, every so often a PFA member will come in and maybe speak on mental illness and whatever. To be honest, I don't know just because I don't really know anyone who's been in touch with the PFA and what they've done, but I do know of an ex-player, uh, Drew Broughton, who good friend of mine as well, who was struggling after his career and they took him to the Tony Allen clinic where he completely reinvented himself, to be fair. Wow. Um, so there are options to help. But I mean, within football clubs, it's very difficult because if you're a player and say you're struggling with depression, it's very hard for you to go to your manager uh-huh. and say, I'm struggling with depression and expect to play. Yeah. You know, well, either one or two things will happen. Either the manager is going to, majority, by the way, majority are just going to try and push it under the carpet. You know, you'll be okay soon as long as you're okay for Saturday. Or you'll have the other approach where it was like, taking you out of the squad, you know, you need help, you might not play for three, four weeks. So as a player, you probably don't want any of that. Mm. Um, and I can't speak for managers, of course, but that's, that's just a guess of how managers would approach it. Then you've got some managers who, you know, may help you every step of the way and, and do things like that. So it all depends on the management, but certainly these things in a football environment it, it would be the last resort speaking to staff members because of how it's perceived and because of a football sort of considered this, you know, any sort of, um, any vulnerability seen as a weakness and yeah. obviously you want to play and things like that. Which it shouldn't be, but it's just the way, the way the sport is, I guess. Um, that is so interesting, Sam, that you mentioned because obviously in the professional game, you have, the options of the PFA and other other organisations and bodies and contacts, those aspiring young footballers who want to make it professionally will have knockbacks. And I'm sure you have, as we spoke to Issa Suleiman last week. Uh, first of all, can you can you tell us some of those challenges? And uh, specifically, what I'm trying to get at is, obviously, at a young age, you're at Wolves. Yeah. And then, if I'm correct, if I'm not mistaken, you were let go by Wolves. Yes. That, that must have been a challenge. That, that must have been not just a physical, that must have been a mental challenge as well. Yeah, that that was a big challenge. That was um, that was a funny one though because that was in that was a period in my life where I put football on a back burner. I wasn't taking it serious. Um, Can I ask why? Or like, you don't have to answer it. I just yeah, want to ask why because that. there's people on here. So, like, I know personally who who have tried to get into the game and they haven't committed a hundred percent. Why was it on a back burner for you? For what reasons? If you don't mind, because. As a kid, I was always super enthusiastic. You know, I was, I was probably an example for my coaches, attitude, application, whatever. Then there was that 14 to 16 period where I um, started going out with my friends, started going out parties, started doing things I shouldn't have been doing. Um, then as a result, naturally football slipped, naturally training, didn't take it seriously enough. Uh, before games, I'd be going out before games. And all these things at a vital stage where you're going to get your scholarship. So my mind frame just wasn't on football. Um, I've been there years and the academy directors, 
you know, really like me, really like my parents. So I was half thinking, you know, I might just get a scholarship just for whatever. And it was quite funny because that season, I kept having meetings, I kept calling my parents, like, Sam, come on. You know, all you have to do is just focus a little bit. You know, you'll get your scholarship, you'll get whatever, but it just didn't click with me. So when I didn't get my scholarship, as much as I was sad, I, I couldn't blame them. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't blame them. You can't, you know, if you do, then it's, it's in, you, have to, you, you have to take full responsibility regardless. And because I know I didn't put anything as I should have put in, I sort of put the setback quite well if you like because mm. I knew that I could give so much more you know first person looked at was myself didn't blame anybody else didn't think it was unfair didn't think whatever I just sort of reevaluated where I'd gone and just tried to focus more and and overcome that that's that's truly inspiring man because uh, forgive me when I say this but like to have that kind of mindset and mentality at, at such a young age you, is, is amazing um not i think everyone has that kind of mindset but as in even now but we're easily swayed away from i mean i know young young people who are young adults now who have had opportunities and they've they've kind of blamed the system and yeah. i always encourage saying look look at yourself first let's see what you can improve on before you can blame others or what can you fix so it's so inspiring that you know for someone between 14 to 16 and you, you've had that mentality i think that message is so important to, to young young adults aspiring footballers yeah it, it, it's important you know it's it has the book has to start and end with you you know especially when you know and especially if you want to if you want a career in the professional game it's going to be very tough and the one thing you have to be is honest with yourself because a lot of people lie to you um, again I was lucky enough that Growing up, there were some parents who thought their kids were just amazing and didn't see no wrong with the kids. And, mm. and you see mothers, no, no, not my son, not my son. My parents were the opposite. <laughs> you know, anything that would happen, yeah, yeah, that, that was Sammy, that was Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> so in regards to that as well, you know, I was never made to feel like, oh, I'm, I'm this, yeah, I'm going to be this footballer, I'm going to be whatever. I was made to think, you know, you have to work very hard and just sort of see see where you're at really and that made me work hard and that made me have a hunger for the game and that's amazing to know and 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 just touching on that obviously that links into some of the work that we do at Swatley Stallion some of the work that Aaron and Callum do at Foundation for the Future who kind of introduced me to yourself and yeah. I think it's I was going to ask you what do you think how the importance of having these organizations that mentor young people provide them different opportunities it's everything it's absolutely everything because these these things are going to be what shapes you, um, especially when you get to a certain age, like we discussed earlier, like you're going to be doing, you're going to be going in a, in a direction, definitely, whatever you do, whether that's a wrong direction, whether that's with you guys and different foundations or whether that's on the streets or whether that's even, you be even now, you know, become extremely introverted on social media things and, yeah. and the game, you're going to, you're going to go somewhere regardless. So, having these foundations where, where young people can connect when they can do well, it's, it's going to be vital and it's so important for them to have, to have role models, um, to go in the right direction, to, to believe they can achieve something. Because, you know, in this life now, especially as well, especially in countries like this, there's so much opportunities, 
and even with the corona after the corona in my opinion there'll be even more opportunities it's just mm. the way it works um and people you know especially young children they need to feel that they can achieve something in this life and they can if they commit themselves and they have a goal and focus you know you, you can achieve anything i think a lot of people have proven that whatever profession you're in like sky's the limit you can do anything no i agree with that ramadan Ramadan Mubarak, it's 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 Ramadan right now, and you're fasting and and playing. How what uh, what what does it mean? What does Ramadan mean to Sam Morsi personally? You don't have to answer again. Yeah, it could be a personal thing. No, Ramadan's a very very blessed month. Uh, it's a month of self reflection. It's a month to try and improve, try and get better, try and get closer to the Creator. Um, it's it's a vital month of the year. It's um it's it's obviously different this year, being in lockdown, very different. But in many ways, it gives you more of an opportunity, more of an opportunity to reflect, just in terms of your life, really, and and where you want to go, and good habits you've established, and bad habits you've also established as well, which is just important. So it's just that that self inventory as well. I've seen where you're at. I'm trying to be better. Um, I'm trying to give give what you can give um, in terms of charity as well, and and help people within this month. It goes so fast as well. You know, we got just over two weeks left as well. It's crazy. It's crazy. I was we, I was just speaking to Saeed earlier, and we were saying um, who have we got on next week, etc. And we're working through that. And I said, you do know, like next week's the last week of this yeah. program. Hopefully, yeah. we want to continue it. If we're still in lockdown, I think there's some benefit to it, and we see we'll yeah. see if we can continue it. Uh, we'll need support from you guys, and you guys are the professionals. Help us plug us with yeah. the players to come on, inshallah. Um, about regarding Ramadan, previously, you know, playing for Wigan, two questions there. One, what's uh, do you think you've uh, created some awareness with the players or the uh, players that play for Wigan who may not know about Ramadan, the club itself, the social media team? Uh, do you think that's been beneficial you being at the club explaining or have they asked you or is it just common knowledge now yeah i i, I guess it's common knowledge but it's um yeah there's really good guys in the dressing room and the media team as well who ask me things that's really good i think the um the ramadan in 2018 that was a world cup where we was in various different countries that was that was an amazing ramadan as well you know being around all the players um that was amazing training for the world cup that that was you know that's that's what it's all about as well isn't it we're, we're gonna come on to that in a second i'm, yeah. I'm, I'm building this up nicely Sam. <laughs> you're, you're used to all of this oh, i'm not so i'm gonna give me a few seconds about the yeah um no, sorry that, that family moment that was a good ramadan but yeah the guys at wigan um they're great with it you know the, the players as well they ask questions very respectful as well i'm lucky enough in that sense at club level have you actually played um during ramadan or has it usually fell off the you know pre-season yeah, it's usually fell in the off season to be fair. So I've never had to play. This would have been the first season. I think the last game would have been last Sunday or something. Um so I think it would have been the last three or four games this Ramadan, so it was crazy. But uh yeah, the Ramadan I did play in was um the qualifiers for the World Cup. Nice. How do you find it? It's tough, tough, extremely challenging. Uh, the training as well, because when we was preparing for the World Cup in Belgium, uh, sorry, in Italy, we played Belgium, um, double sessions a day. Man. Yeah, yes. Serious running sessions as well. The, the boss, Hector Cooper, 
he wanted the players to be prepared, serious running sessions. So it was it was eye opening, man. It was eye opening. Nah, fair play, fair play. Like you know, we we've got um, after this interview, uh, we have uh, an hour of online workouts, and it's kind of to tackle and support well being and physical yeah. health, etc. Um, how important is it to keep fit and healthy during, especially during Ramadan and this COVID nineteen? It's massive, 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 massive. Um, you know, your physical well-being, and the, the more we learn now, it's you know, your physical is going to affect your mental uh, and your spiritual as well, the way you worship as well. So it's all it's all interluded as well. So it's really important just to try and keep active, wherever that may be, whether that's home workout, walk, a run, a bike, whatever that may be. Um, just, try and, just try and keep physically, uh, just keep, keep moving because as well, you know, the... Um, the chemicals it releases in your brain as well, different things like that. The feel good factors, the feel good hormones. So it's important to try and keep moving, try to eat healthily as well when you can. And just try and again it you know, it's a it's obviously a really important month for us. Um so we wanna try and be in our best best condition to do everything we need to do and within that definitely becomes becomes sort of your eating and your training as well because you know you wanna be fit. Um to perform the prayers you know as mad as it sounds you know so it's very important touching on we just mentioned physical health gonna slightly take it back to mental health again a little bit i know this is not a physical health mental health debate or anything like that mm -hmm. but 2017 african cup of nations um you were supposed to make your debut you're meant to compete in the competition it's become so famous now so yeah you know momentous what happened exactly? Why couldn't you make your debut? And how, how did it affect you not making your debut for Egypt at a major tournament? Yeah, it was um, because in Egypt you have to have the dual citizenship. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a huge process with the army and back and forth and back and forth to the Egyptian embassy. And, and just in the end, we just couldn't do it in time. Um, Were you upset? Were you like genuinely upset? I know. Yeah. Silly yeah. question. Yeah, yeah, I would say, yeah. Because it, it, it was something I was preparing for. I was, I was excited, couldn't wait. And it was something I was frustrated with as well because I just thought, you know, surely we can do it. Yeah. You know, but it just took so long. And then with the army and there's just so many different factors involved in it. It was just crazy. But we was confident we was going to do it. So when it didn't happen, really, really disappointing, to be honest. But you know what? Like Allah says in the Quran, in Allah, in Allah likes those who are patient. Yeah. A year later, not many men can say they played at a World <laughs> Cup. Not many men can say they played at a World Cup. You, yeah, you got selected for the World Cup. How, what did you even like? How does how do you even describe that in a in a in a conversation? Not only getting selected, but then playing at the World Cup. Yeah, it was a funny one actually though. So um, so the man Jake the Cooper, you know, he, he liked me. He liked me. So I'd been in all the camps, but the last few camps before the World Cup, I'd go, but I wouldn't play no minutes. And so he'd always play his 11 in the first game. Then in the second game, there'd be like, he'd try a couple of players, right? Three or four players. Still a strong side, but try players. And in the last few camps, didn't touch the grass, no minutes. So I'm thinking, could be in trouble here. <laughs> so um, so we, we had a camp in March. And again, we had two games. One was against Portugal. Again, he played his strongest team, but I understand that. And the other one against Greece, where he made a lot of changes, where I thought, I've got to be playing this. Didn't play in that either. But 
the guys who were on the fringes who played didn't really play that well. It was quite a bad game. So then I'm thinking, I might not get caught up in the summer here. Because the summer camp as well, it was a 30-man squad cut to a 23-man squad. Wow. So I'm thinking in my head, I haven't played in the last three camps. He's tried all these new players. <laughs> and then he's called me up for the 30. And I'm thinking, right, I've got to play now to see if I can play. So then the first game, we play against um, Kuwait. And someone in my position, so there was a two starting centre midfielders. Then there was another midfielder who would sort of be back up. Um, so they called up a new guy from Egypt. And against Kuwait, he played really, really well. Right, he had a really good game. And, and you know what as well, in football, especially with the national team, genuinely, there's no like envy or... Yeah. You know, like, it was mad because like at club level, it, you know, if someone, if that same scenario at club level, you'd be a bit disappointed and whatever. But at international level, you know, one of your brothers plays as well. You're happy for him genuinely? Yeah. I was genuinely thinking, you know what, fair play. It's his first camp. He's going to go to the World Cup. You know, fair <laughs> It's football. So, um, I remember speaking to one of my good friends there and he was like, yeah, listen, man, you know, from what I'm hearing, like, that's it. You're going to play against Colombia. Obviously, tough game, but like, yeah, he probably doesn't think I was going to go. So, we played Colombia and I played really, really well. So, I've come off, I think, about 70 minutes. And as I've come off, the players were like, congratulations, you're going to the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, yeah, that was serious. And then the next game after, we played Belgium. They had come on for half an hour, done really well then. And then, um, yeah, he, he sat us all down on the grass. And he was sort of like, I'm going to call your name. And if I call your name, you're not in the squad. That's how he broke it to the boys. Wow. Which was like, wow. And then, uh, obviously, he didn't call my name. Um Nah, that's mad. You're just sitting there on the grass and Hector Cooper's calling your names. Yeah, it was at Verona training ground, wicked training ground in Italy. Just sat us down and like one of my close, close friends, he he didn't call him off. I still don't know why he didn't call him off, but uh, my heart was broken for him, man. My heart was broken for him. So you now you've been called up, like you know you must be buzzing. Who do you, what do you do? You call dad first? Or you, is your dad over with you in the camp? Family over with you? Or what's going on? Yeah, it's called all my parents, my missus, family, friends. Um, they yeah they they come out in Belgium. They come out, Belgium. They come out in Italy to see me. There wasn't out at the time. Just call them. Say yeah, I'm going. Obviously, like everyone's buzzing. Can't believe it. And uh, yeah, it was it was an amazing day. And again, like there seems to be an array of Egyptian talent coming out um, and, and playing the game. We've got players in the Premier League uh, for Aston Villa, you're playing in the Championship, etc. How long do you think it take before we see, uh, you know, first of all, an African team winning the World Cup uh, or, or Egypt winning the African Cup of Nations? Obviously, last year's one was at Egypt, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last one was a disaster. Yeah. You should have played, man. If you were there, I think it'd have been different. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah, there's a new coach come in. That, that was a funny one as well. That, that was an interesting one. So the new coach has come in, and his first camp, I, I just because of the World Cup, I had no sort of rest. So I kept having all these niggly injuries. So um, he's called me off, great, and I, I pulled out of the squad because I said, I'm just getting all these injuries. Like the clubs basically said, you need to get it right. And then, like, from the staff, the staff have got 
quite a bit of pressure on me to come over to Egypt. And I was like, I can come, but like, I can't do anything. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I've got to get this right. So, um, and then my second camp, I went there and he was sort of like, listen, I'll watch your World Cup, I'll watch your games. You're going to be signed for me? You're going to be my 11? And I was like, oh, great, you know, been waiting for this opportunity. And then again, with the season, um, my body just wasn't right. It's kept, I had a few niggly injuries in the camp. And then I got called up for one more, then I didn't get called up again. I didn't go to the African Nations. Um, so that was, that, was, that was a disappointment. That was disappointing to take. Because as well, especially from the first camp, he, whether he was lying or not, I don't know. But there's no reason for him to lie. But he was basically saying, you're going to start for me. You're going to be a big player for me. Um, so Egypt, they've got an Egyptian manager now. Uh, can they win the African nation? It's, it's a tough competition. I mean, they can, but like a, like a lot of teams, it's, it's very, very tough. Um, when can Africa win a World Cup? Well, they won the last one, didn't they, France? Yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you think I, it's far I, off? No, no, I don't know. I mean, the France team, the French team. Yeah, amazing. Who do who do you get on with uh, from the Egyptian team? Well, whilst you were at the World Cup, who do you get on with the best? Who was close to you? What with uh, them? Hassan Koka. He was. He, yeah, he didn't get to the World Cup. He was caught in the preliminary rounds. Um, El Mohamedi is here with Villa. Very, very good guy. Um, can you can you plug him and get him on next week for us? Yeah, I'll talk to him. El is a very good guy, a character man. Been you know, played Premiership number of years. Great guy. El a good guy. I was just joking about that, but yeah, if you can, man, that's wicked. yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, El a really good guy. El a really good guy. There's good guys in the squad. Uh, Nenny, Nenny's a really nice guy as well. Uh, what about? Mo Salah, how'd you get on with him? Yeah, he's an amazing person. Real, really, really good guy, humble guy. A shame for him really because at the World Cup he was nursing a shoulder injury. Mm. Still scored two goals. Um, but I, I don't know how much information you know about Egypt World Cup and in Chechnya. Do you know any information? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done a bit of research on it. Mental. Yeah. Chechnya, mate. It's yeah. com- a conversation, but off air. Off air, yeah. But, um, yeah, it was crazy, man. It was crazy. Like, we was sucking in the ghost town. Um, you know, you know the President Kadev? Yeah. Chetney and... Oh, yeah, we'll we, we probably talk about that offline. <laughs> but how how is he uh, as a, a footballer in real life? Like, obviously, we see him on the telly and he's, he's unbelievable and whatnot. But he must be something else in real life. Yeah, he's... You know what? It's probably what you'd expect him to be. Just his real, real humble, nice, calm character. Obviously, in a football pitch, is electric. He's just got the moments of quality. You know, I think in three seasons, he's been Liverpool's top goal scorer in the Premier League and the Champions League. You know, he won a Champions League. Maybe this season, will have won the Premier League. We'll see. I, th- I think he will play like that. Um, but if you actually look what he's done, I think he's massively underrated. Yeah. yeah, the impact he's had. Bearing in mind, Liverpool haven't won anything for years. Um, obviously, the one the Champions League. How long ago was that when they won it? Yeah, two thousand five. Last time they won it, and then last year. Yeah, so it's come in. He's had a huge, huge impact. Not getting the credit he deserves. I don't know why. 
Because to be top goal scorer, Golden Duke, three years in a row. Yeah. It's mental. Mental. Um, but yeah, amazing guy, humble guy, and good guy to be around as well. So between him and Sadio Mane, who are you picking? I think I'd go with him, you know. But I, I think very close. coming in. Very close, yeah, because Mane is unbelievable as well. But I just think, I'd just put it down to, you know, that big moment in a big game. Yeah. I think you'd want the chance to fall to Salah. I've got so many other questions, but I'm not going to ask you that many because obviously I know the chat box is getting full and people want to ask you questions as well. What's your five-a-side team playing against mine? Who are you picking? Five-a-side? Yeah. What, world five-a-side? Yeah, anything. It could be whatever your five-a-side, whether you played with them, whether you haven't played with them, yeah. anything. Your five-a-side team. You're the manager. You can select. Or you can play as well. You can be a player manager. Yeah. World five-a-side would be... It would be a, a legend world five-a-side. Uh, Buffon in goal yeah, man. I'd have my now hold on one second Sam I, I've asked I've asked you the, I've given you my five aside before so you can't you can't use my players because like <laughs> I'm not FIFA I've said to you I need to check what I said to you on my five aside was one second you can't use Buffon I'm sorry I've got Buffon already yeah Buffon okay <laughs> I'll go uh, I'll go Manuel Neuer he's okay. still playing yeah so we'll go we'll play 1-3-1 one, one. so my centre half be let me just quickly let me just quickly remind you of mine so then that way it makes it easier for you so mine was Buffon Cannavaro Riquelme Messi and Ronaldo the Brazilian Ronaldo okay nice Riquelme that's a good choice you know one Riquelme yeah I'd, I'd, I'd go Nesta at the back okay I'd go my uh, my two midfielders I'm gonna go Zizou and Javi mad and then my one up top. R9. Yeah, I got R9. I've got R9. Yeah, you got R9, yeah. R9. <laughs> okay, I'd go, uh, yeah, I'd go Thierry. Thierry Henry, wow. Yeah. No Cristiano, no Messi. Uh, do, do you not have Messi in your team? Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, I got Messi. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Obviously, Messi, Messi goes in any team. Um, but yeah, Thierry Henry, I think. Premier League days, unbelievable. Fair enough, fair enough. We'll do a quick little quick fire round before we open it up to participants. So, Sam, what's your fish and chips or falafel? Falafel. Uh, beach, holiday or city holiday? Beach, holiday. Liverpool or Man United? You might not support any of them, but which two? <laughs> you know, as a kid, I grew up supporting Man United, you know. That's disgusting, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as a kid, good All right, we we'll leave you at that. Messi or Ronaldo? Cristiano or Messi? Messi. And if you're going for juice or fizzy, fizzy pop? Juice. Good man, good man. Okay, thanks, Sam, once again. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm going to open up to Saeed to um, let some of the participants ask you some questions. Okay. Um, Saeed, over to you. Cheers, Obi. Uh, first, we got Akbar. Well, I'm just going to mute you now. Slam Go ahead, guys. Alaikum, salam. Um, you okay, Sam? How's Ramadan going? Yeah, good, brother. Good. Enjoying it. Amazing month. Enjoying it. How about you? Yeah, alhamdulillah. Thanks for asking. Um, my question for you is, um, you know, when you came on for Egypt in the World Cup, and obviously because it's such a big stage, like such a big competition and there's, you played against some big names 
um, and uh, obviously alongside Mohamed Salah as well. Did you feel um, any pressure? And if so, if you did, like how would you cope with it and how would you like, build your confidence up? Do you know what? The, the few days before, I had food poisoning. So the day of the game, I was really, really unwell, right? So I'm on the bench and I'm half asleep. <laughs> no joke, I'm half asleep. I've had all the caffeine in the world. And I'm just, I'm just on the bench, just conked out. So when the midfielder went down, usually the manager, he'd bring off a midfielder, put our attacking midfielder into centre midfielder and put someone off the bench in attacking midfield. So the midfielders went down and I'm still thinking, no, I'm not coming on. So I'm just, you know, just chilling. And then the assistant turns around and screams, Sam, why aren't you coming on? So I've jumped up. And I've literally gone five yards to run. And I said, no, no, you're coming on now. So there was no opportunity to get nervous or to feel anything because, you know, it was crazy. It was just all of a sudden, you're on the bench, you're on the pitch. And you're just trying to think about the game. You know, I'm trying to stay awake. I'm, try I'm trying to focus on the game. Um, so, yeah, there the, the, the just wasn't an opportunity. But usually in scenarios, it's just sort of um, doing the fundamentals well, doing the basics well. And, most importantly, is trusting yourself. That's all you can do is trust yourself. Thanks, Akbar. Uh, next, we've got Hamza. Hamza, go ahead. Salam alaikum, bro. How are you doing? All right? Salam, brother. Good, thank you. You? Good, man. Good. Um, just wanted to ask you a question. Um, what's the best footballer you played against and why? Um, best footballer I played against would be Kevin De Bruyne. Um, okay. Just on a different level, man. Like, you're lucky and he's six foot two. He's quick, strong, both feet. You know, he, he can do anything, do anything on the pitch. Passing range, unbelievable. When we yeah. played Belgium, some of the crosses he put in, just surreal, you know, surreal. Something I've never seen before. So effortless as well. In my opinion, the best midfielder in the world at the moment. Yeah, I can imagine. One more thing, uh, do me a favour. Tell Mo Salah to leave Liverpool, man. I don't know why he's doing that. <laughs> Where do you want him to go? United. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I'll tell him. I'll tell him. Nah, don't tell him that. Okay, thank you, Hamza. Uh, moving on, we got Kasim. Kasim, far away, buddy. Asalaamu Alaikum, brother. You okay? Yeah, good, thank you. Good, good. Um, I just got two very, very quick questions. Um, first one, if you had the choice between playing for England or Egypt, who, uh, which country would you pick? And secondly, is there any piece of advice that you got from say Mo Salah one of the senior players that sometimes you speak to people and it's that one piece of advice that you kind of take with you throughout your career did you get that from say from Mo Salah any of the senior players that you could say you know what that's one thing that I will keep with me throughout my career that would help me yeah 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 <laughs> first question uh, probably Egypt to be fair a lot of the families in Egypt with Egypt second one piece of advice um, an old coach uh, Ian Ashby I'm talking probably 15 years ago he says me listen football as in life you get out what you put in it's as simple as that you know what you're prepared to put in what you're prepared to sacrifice is what you're going to get out you know there's no there's no magic formula there's no magic solution um, nothing like that it's what you're prepared to do um, the advice of Salah uh, it's quite interesting actually. Every camp I'd see Salah, 
he'd come in better shape physically. So like he's in amazing condition, yeah. But every single camp, he'd come back better, and I'd be like, "What? What, what are you doing?" And he said, "Yeah, yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's at his gym in Liverpool, two hours a day. Then the gym in his house, two hours a day. Like he's working ridiculously hard." So I think sometimes we may just we, we may look at the top players and maybe just think, oh no, yeah, genetics or I don't know. Nah, they're the top players, but these guys at the top of the game, they are working hard, man. They are working hard. So it's really? just just that work rate really to think to actually know, you know, even when you probably think you're working hard, you can work harder. Wicked. I appreciate that, bro. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kasim. Next, we've got Callum from Founders in Future. He has sent a question in. Um, he's working with a lot of secondary schools and um, he's asked, what advice would you pass on to young people who are striving to be football players but never been in an academy? Um, the, the biggest advice as well is just really just trying to, if you want to be a footballer, you have to sort of consume yourself with it in terms of practice, in terms of I think on Instagram as well, um, there's lots of negatives of social media, but there's lots of positives as well. And the positives are there's so many different pages and things you can be doing, the practice you can be doing just with, you know, a wall, a football, some cones. There's so much things you can be doing. So it's just about disciplining yourself enough and just putting in that groundwork, really. Like I said, if you want to get ahead, if you want to get into an academy, if you're not in an academy, it's just practice, practice, practice. And now more than ever, you know, there's a video tutorial for absolutely everything on YouTube or on Instagram. There's everything there. So for me, if I was a kid and not at Academy, I'd be scouring sort of, you know, my favourite player. What does he do? Well, how does he train? And just try and get all that information together and just keep practising. Like I said, practice, practice, practice. Excellent. Um, our Facebook um, is just loaded with questions and comments. One that I kind of uh, picked out from Lum Joe, I think. Sorry if I never pronounced your name correctly. Um, he's asked, um, what's next for Sam Morsi once you've retired? I know he's still young, but he's asked, do you have any plans after your football career? Or have you thought about it? Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely I want to open academies. Um Definitely for, there's one sort of particular academy I want to do for autistic children. I want to build a football academy. That's something I've wanted to do for a number of years. Um, the other as well, I've always wanted to open my own sort of um, health cafe, food and drinks, just real mm -hmm. natural, proper health food. Uh, that's been another inspiration of mine, just so people can eat healthily, affordably, um, but eat proper healthily, in my opinion, with some sort of shops deceive you uh, and then I want to go into coaching and management at some point as well so there's definitely a few things I want to do uh, but the coaching and management definitely would be at the forefront of that Cool, excellent uh, one question from myself um, we had Momo Sissoko on last week um, he used to be a striker before and then he I think one of the managers played under asked him to play in midfield and he did really well so I was wondering, um, have you always been a midfielder or did you used to play in a different position and one of your managers has asked you to play in midfield? Yeah, pretty much. I've always been central midfielder. Um, at one point, I played right back for a little bit, but didn't really like it. But pretty much... We know, all someone, who, we know someone who played that right back. Aaron Ford, didn't he? He didn't enjoy it either. 
you know, you know, it's funny, Aaron Ford. Yeah, when he was when he was coming in at times, I'd play right back so he could play centre mid. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So really, he's done me wrong there. <laughs> no, but you know, Aaron will tell you as well. If you're a midfielder, you don't play right back. You don't. Want to, play right back. You know, to be fair, he did ask if you remembered when um, when he was at Port Vale and he was at Walsall. He yeah, said you yeah. actually done him with an elbow, so. <laughs> accidental man accidental of course uh, but yeah pretty much always midfield always midfield okay cheers Sam thank you very much for coming on uh, once again um, it's been an absolute privilege and honour to have you um, I absolutely love the work that you do um, please continue to do that uh, and support us when you can and support all, all the organisations that you do um, have you got anything else to add at the end no it's um, really enjoyed coming on uh Amazing with what you're doing. Just keep that going, man. Keep trying to inspire the youths because they're our future. Wow, what an amazing character, Sam Morsi. What a genuine, humble human being. It was so amazing to hear that once he hangs up his boots, um, which I hope many years later because he's got a lot of um, talent and I hope he continues to play he wants to set up a an academy specifically for autistic children um, and he continues to support organizations that support young people and young adults um, an absolute honor to have him on the show stay tuned 